And thank you, Laura. Uh, I want to tell you about a, a guy. He'll put his picture up here. His name uh, was Glenn Wolf. He, he died 20 years ago, but he set a record. He set the record. Uh, during his lifetime, Scott Wolf was married 29 times. 29 times. And he was a Baptist preacher. Um, his first wife and three other wives died uh, in, while he was married to them, and he was divorced 24 times. His last marriage ended at his death. 29 weddings, that's a lot of cake. I mean, pretty soon you got to the baker on speed dial. Yeah, I'll have the usual, you know. Interestingly, his last wife also held the record for the woman with the most women with the most marriages at 23. So between them, that's 51 marriages. And today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what Jesus said about this kind of stuff, about uh, marriage, divorce, and then uh, also we'll get into what he said about swearing oaths, as Laura read for us a little bit ago. Um, this fall at, at Faith Westwood, we are uh, in our series called Go With a New Flow. Uh, we're finding out what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was very, very emphatic. He said, it's not enough for you to hear this. It's not enough for you to learn it. You've got to do it. And so our memory verse for this series is, is Matthew 7, uh, 24. Jesus tells about uh, the story about two men who built houses, one on rock, the other on sand. And uh, here's how the parable starts. It's the first verse of the parable, so let's say it together, shall we? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We've got to put it into practice. Because he says, that's when we're the salt of the earth. That's when we're the light of the world. Uh, I imagine you've often heard quoted the, the idea that the marriage, uh, excuse me, the divorce rate is 50%. Have you heard that? You know, that's not exactly true. I mean, it's true in one sense because uh, the divorce rate means that the number of divorces in a given year is half the number of weddings that year. But it's more accurate to say that a third of weddings will eventually end in divorce. Now, why do couples divorce? All kinds of reasons. If you, if you look through the studies, you find that one thing that's usually at the top or very near the top of the list is infidelity. That, that probably makes sense. But, you know, a lot of times infidelity is just sort of the last straw. Uh, that takes a couple to divorce court. But leading up to it, there have been a whole uh, a bunch of issues like substance abuse, selfishness, insults, lack of respect, lying, vicious arguing, and the list could go on. Also interesting is that a number of uh, divorced persons, most, a majority of divorced persons say, uh, it was mostly my ex's fault. They, most of them will blame their spouse for the majority of the problem in the marriage. Now, 
we don't have any divorce statistics from first century Judaism, but we do know that divorce was easily obtained and easily justified, especially for men, although a woman could uh, force a legal divorce. The book of Deuteronomy uh, in the Bible was written, you know, long before Jesus, uh, and it said that if a man was going to divorce his wife, he had to give her a legal document. A, he had to serve her with a certificate of divorce. Now, you may think, well, that was a bad thing to do, but really it was a step in the right direction. Because before divorce, a husband just might kick his wife out of the house, abandon her. But she could not remarry because she was still legally married to him. This left her, especially in that culture, with very little means to support herself. With a certificate of divorce, she could show that her first marriage was over and she was free to remarry. So, so the provision for divorce at least helped lessen the wrong. But it also opened up problems, especially in Jesus' day. Permission for some divorces turned into justification for all divorces. You see the problem? Permission for some divorces turned into justification for all divorces. A man would divorce his wife because, well, I don't think I like your cooking anymore. Or because I think I found somebody younger. And he felt justified because the law of Moses just said, well, all you have to do is write her a little certificate, and you're good, you're off the hook, you're free to go. So please open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 31. Uh, if you brought your Bible, way to go. You know, leather-bound, paperback, digital, it's all good. Uh, and, of course, we have our pew Bibles where you'll find it in, uh, on page 969. And, and those, of course, are the, not, the New International Version. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, one that's readable for you, then just take that one home, Okay. You can have it. We'll stick another one in during the week. Verses 31 and uh, going into 32, Jesus says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whoa, those are some strong words, hard to hear. But Jesus sees that divorce has become an epidemic. Men have considered divorce sort of like morally neutral. You know, it doesn't matter. Now, divorce can have a positive purpose, as I, as I mentioned earlier, but in terms of morality, it's at the bottom of the mountain. Jesus takes us up the mountain to a higher level of living, a, a higher righteousness. God's plan A for you is not like Scotty Wolf, you know, serial marriage and divorce. God's plan A for you is to stay married to your spouse. So I say, fight for plan A. Don't fight your spouse, fight for plan A. Now, these verses raise all kinds of questions. Uh, I'm going to address a few of them. First, what is this sexual immorality Jesus talks about in his exception on uh, this teaching on divorce? Well, 
the Greek word for, uh, that we translate sexual immorality is the, the Greek word porneia. Sound familiar? Porneia. And it can refer to any unmarried sexual intimacy. Within marriage, porneia means infidelity. So he's saying that a man is, is allowed to divorce his wife if she's been unfaithful in the same way a, a woman is allowed to divorce her husband if he's been unfaithful. But note, Jesus does not demand it. There may be times even then when it's best to keep fighting for plan A. Repair your marriage, even, even after infidelity. And what Jesus said, apply, uh, said earlier applies. He said, blessed are the merciful. However, Jesus recognizes that if your spouse is in a relationship with somebody else, very likely your marriage is over and a divorce is in order. Uh, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul adds abandonment as another indication that the marriage is already over. And I believe you can make a case that abuse could be added to that list of legitimate reasons for divorce. Here's another question. What does it mean uh, that a woman divorced by her husband is the victim of adultery? What is that about, the victim of adultery? Jesus is addressing husbands who are, who are quick to divorce their faithful wives. And he says, by divorcing her, you're putting her in a position where she feels she has to, you know, find a new husband, which is a violation of the original marriage bond. So her second marriage is technically an adultery to the first marriage, but it's not her fault. The guilt belongs to you, her first husband, who put her in that position. So she is the victim of adultery. And in the same way, I, I would read this and say that her second husband is also, his adultery is also kind of a victim adultery uh, to the first husband's sin. His marriage to the unjustly divorced wife is technically an adultery to the first marriage. But again, the fault lies more with the original, the first husband who divorced her. Remember, Jesus is taking us up the mountain Divorce is better than just abandonment. Divorce mitigates the evil. It, it lessens the damage. But it's not what God wants for us. It's not God's best for us. Now, I would encourage you when you go home today to go and look up Matthew chapter 19 because there Jesus says a little bit more about divorce and, and marriage. And... Um, so, so read Matthew 19, those first uh, nine or ten verses or so. And he says in there that when a husband and wife are joined in marriage, it's God who does the joining. God is invested in your marriage covenant. So don't treat it like the recycling, okay? One more question. What then about remarriage? What then about remarriage. The way I look at it is that nobody experiences divorce completely free of fault. Would that be fair? All of us who 
are married or have been married know that there have been times when we did not love our spouse the way we promised to. And when a marriage ends in divorce, each spouse bears at least some responsibility. To the, to the non-repentant ex-spouse who's not willing to own their part of the failure of the marriage, who's not seeking God's forgiveness and restoration, I believe that remarriage is just going to continue the sin. But to the one who's willing to face their sin and repent of their contribution to the failure of the marriage, seek God's forgiveness and restoration, then we have to believe that God's forgiveness is complete. Right? We have to believe that God's forgiveness is complete, even to the adulterer who has repented and is seeking restoration and forgiveness. God's forgiveness is complete. Jesus gave us the gospel, the good news that a new start is possible, like, like a new birth. And forgiveness means that the past is no longer held against us. I have friends who committed adultery. Their, their marriage ended, but they owned their sin. They repented. And when it was clear that reconciliation was not possible, they eventually married someone else. And I believe that their second marriage was blessed by God. Jesus said, I have come not to call the righteous. I come to call sinners. Most people I know who have been through a divorce, it has been a time of deep brokenness. Been a very painful time. And remember what Jesus said very early on in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, blessed are those who mourn. You could also translate it, blessed are the brokenhearted, for they will be comforted. Today, we're looking at not only at what Jesus said about divorce, but also about swearing oaths. So what we're going to do is we're going to peek in now to a couple of roomies, Jarrell and Austin, They've, they've recently been learning some things from the Bible, but their real problem is that uh, they're having conflicts with each other and not knowing how to deal with that or bring the Bible into it. So let's watch. What, dude? What? Are you seriously still mad? I said I was sorry. Hello? Dude, I said that I was sorry, all right? It won't happen again. Yeah. I promise. That's what you always saying, this promise thing. I don't know what to even expect from you, man. Like, I don't know. What are you talking about? I can't trust you. You can trust me. This is the one time. The one time. No, this is like the again time. I'm sitting here thinking about, like, reflecting. Right? And I remember I got that phone. And I'm sitting down on the couch. And you're making this big deal about me spending all this time on this phone. And, like, my morals were wrong, man. And then I see you on your phone all the time. And then you got on my case about this hashtag blessed. You know, because I felt blessed. My mom got me the phone. But then I see it on your I see it on your social media. Whoa, dude, dude, I just that was I said I was joking. You weren't joking. There's a difference. Oh, the difference was it wasn't funny. I think about, you know, I'm 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 getting up on my day off and I come here on the couch and you're on the couch, but you're supposed to be at work. 
you know, and then my car. You just get up and take my car because I wanted to go get snacks. Well, I knew you had gas in your car. Dude, I knew I had gas in my car, too. I know, but I mean, who doesn't check the gauge? You get in the car, you I check the gauge. I just said I knew there was gas in the car. All right, dude, I know. Okay, I'm sorry. Listen, it's not going to happen again. All right, I swear. You can, tr- like, I swear on a Bible. Oh, my goodness. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I hear you say it all the time. Like, where do you get sayings like this from? Because you swear on a Bible in court and you lie. You go to jail. You swear, you say you're swearing on a Bible. You go, you lie, you go to hell. You oh. see, you swear on a stack of Bibles. You go to, like, the seventh layer of hell. Seventh layer of hell? I know there's no seventh layer of hell. This is not like like a dipping sauce. There's no seven layers to this stuff, man. What are you talking about? This is like when we were young, like, there were no layers to it. Like, our parents taught us this. Like, if you're going to say you're going to do it, like, do it. But if you're not going to do if you say you're not going to do it, then, okay, don't do it. That's where I think this trust issue is coming from, man. All right, man. I, 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 I will do it. I don't have to swear. I'll just do it. And where do you get a stack of Bibles from anyways? You, you carry around a stack of Bibles? No, you don't literally carry around a stack of Bibles. It's just something that you say. It's oh. just, dude, listen, I, I, I said I was sorry. We're, are we good? Are we boys? We're always boys, man. Uh-huh. I just ask you to just because let your yeses be yeses, man, and your noes be noes. That's it. All right, I will. But, you know, also, I swear. By the moon and the stars in the sky. What is wrong with you? Dude, that's our jam. I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. Shut up. All right, man. Well, thank you, uh, Jarrell and Austin. Um, always uh, good to kind of check in with them. By the way, did you know that th- these guys are they're friends of people here, not relatives, some of them are people in our church, and so they're just kind of doing it for us. Uh, but anyway, so let's go back to our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 33, okay? Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. So Jesus is summarizing uh, the teaching in the Old Testament about oaths. For example, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 13 and 14, it says, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. So uh, the teaching of the Old Testament starts at, like before, the base of the mountain. Instead of swearing your oaths by the names of all these idols from the other nations, swear your oath in the name of the Lord your God. And so an oath was that sworn promise made in God's name. And because Jewish uh, people got to a point where they refrained from speaking the name of God, Yahweh, out loud, uh, they would then swear by other things in place like heaven, earth, Jerusalem. Swearing an oath is the base of the mountain, but Jesus says, no, we're not going to say that. We are going up the mountain. Let all your speech be honest. So, when you swear an oath, you cast doubt on the rest of, on, on your honesty the rest of the time. Let's put up the next slide, shall we? When you swear an oath, you cast doubt on your honesty the rest of the time. Does that make sense? 
What about going to court? <laughs> when you're a witness, aren't you uh, under oath? Don't you have to put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? So help you, God. You know, I, I checked with my friend Susan Sapp. Uh, she's a trial attorney. She spoke here the last Sunday of June. Some of you heard her. Um, so I, I, I sent her a text. She said, no, you don't have to put your hand on the Bible anymore before you uh, give your testimony in court. She said, you are asked to raise your right hand and then swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and all that. But, you know, I've also heard that if it's a matter of conscience for you, you can request to affirm rather than swear. Uh, some bailiffs, she says, uh, still end the question with, so help you God, but others do not. And uh, sometimes they make concessions to people out of conscience. So uh, here's where both atheists and Christians might request that that phrase, so help you God, not be included. Uh, personally, I've decided that I'm just not going to swear an oath. Not going to do it. Um, I'm ready to obey Jesus and trust Jesus, even if I don't fully understand it. And that's what it's about. That's what faith is about, right? Trust and obey no other way. For several years, I've been trying to break myself of a habit. I'm pretty close. But the other day, I was talking to someone, and I prefaced a remark by saying, truthfully, dang. And so I stopped short, and, I, and, I, and I, I just paused a little bit, and then I started over without prefacing it with the word truthfully. Because it implies that I'm not being truthful all the rest of the time. For the same reason, I, I don't want to start a sentence with, I won't lie to you. When I, hear, when I hear someone say, I won't lie to you, I think, well, you probably do lie to me. <laughs> and so I'm trying to stay away from all kinds of phrases like that, like, I kid you not, or to be honest with you, or to be quite frank. I mean, I'm trying to get rid of all of those because I think they cast doubt on my honesty. So let's look at what Jesus said in verse 37 at the end of this section. Uh, and let's all say it together, shall we? Verse 37, you ready? Let's read it together. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus is walking us up the mountain. From where we start, certificate of divorce, Swearing an oath in the Lord's name. And Jesus says, no, we're not staying here. We are going up the mountain where we are fighting for plan A. Where we are just simply being truthful all of the time. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Some of you this morning realize that, yeah, I play, I play loose with the truth a little bit. Don't, maybe you do. You've lied to your boss, you've lied to your spouse, you've lied to your parents, you've lied to your teachers. And a lot of the times you feel like I'm pretty justified in it, or, you know, I have to, or I don't want to get in trouble. But once in a while your conscience bothers you, and you find that it's a hard habit to break. Well, Jesus is ready to meet you 
at the bottom of the mountain when you have nothing to bring but your failure and he said blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who are in poverty of the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven when all you have to bring is your emptiness Jesus has a blessing for you some of you have been through divorce you've been through a lot of pain a lot of heartache leading up to it during it following it and Jesus says blessed are the those who mourn blessed are the heartbroken for they will be comforted you see Jesus is a healer and he wants to bring healing into your life he, he wants you to hear his word that he hasn't given up on you that he has a future for you and so I am asking you today will you put your faith in him will you put your trust in him will you put your life in his hands because he has a new start for you a new beginning kind of like a new birth when the past and the, the faults and the failures of the past are not held against you. That's what forgiveness means. And he says, now, let's start where we are and let's walk up the mountain together. Are you ready to do that with the Lord? He's ready to meet you right where you are. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we... Uh, Thank you that you're willing to meet us even in our failures, even in our most brokenness, even in our pain, at the bottom of the mountain. Lord, we are saying we, wanna, we need to cling to you. We want to put our faith in you. We want to put our lives in your hands. So, Lord, if you're willing to take us, we're ready to say yes. We will say, oh, Lord, take us as we are. Make your home in our hearts. We, uh, we give our lives to you. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness, which is so beautiful and perfect that, you, that everything is made new. So, Lord, we are ready to walk with you and live for you. We pray in your name. Amen.